So we're going to begin our time looking at the third petition by reading Luke 22, verses 41 through 44. And pay careful attention, for this is the word of God. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let us now pray and ask for his help. O Lord, Open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that as your scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Well, we can learn a lot about the Christian life by observing mothers of young children. Now, I recently ran across an article where several mothers listed 30 ridiculous reasons why their children threw a fit. I'm just going to read just a few of those reasons for you this, morning, this evening. So first, she found out that I had another name besides mom. Second, he doesn't want to go, even though we've repeatedly told him we're not going anywhere. Third, this is my favorite one. Someone ate all the muffins. It was him. (laughs) And lastly, he doesn't want the banana he wasn't offered. Now, children can be a handful. And it is not uncommon for an overwhelmed, overworked mother to look at her exhausting children and say, Just do it because I said so. And even young children understand this argument. They are being called upon to do the will of their mother, trusting that mom knows best. And here we see a great parallel to the Christian life. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to do exactly the same thing. He's calling us to pray that God's will would be done, which is to say that our will would not be done. Like little children, he's calling us to put aside our childish wills and to do our Father's will. Trusting that he knows best. Well, this third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's not complicated to understand. Little children can grasp this point. It may be simple to comprehend, but it is not easy to obey. This petition, it requires the help of the Spirit. And so what does this third petition mean? Well, our catechism explains it in two parts, and these will be our two sermon points this evening. This petition means, 
We are to forsake our wills and follow God's will. So forsaking our wills, following God's will. So now let us turn to our first point, forsaking our wills. And if you look with me at Q&A 124 of the Catechism, you'll see very clearly where I'm getting this idea of forsaking our will. The Catechism says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills. So, We are praying to God, asking him to help us renounce our own wills, to forsake our wills. But why would we do that? I mean, after all, most of us spend our entire lives trying to get the things that we want, the things we desire. So why would we renounce them? Well... We renounce our wills because our wills are often sinful. Even after the Spirit has caused us to be born again, we still have sin indwelling within us. We have been given new hearts, and yet we still have many of the sinful desires that we had before. Selfishness does not magically disappear when you become a Christian. Now God, by his grace, he may deliver us from certain sins immediately when we become saved, but the general pattern of the Christian life is that we fight with our sins until the day that we die. And so in this petition, we ask that God would help us to forsake the sinful desires that still remain in us. But there's another reason why we ask God to help us forsake our will. And we see it in our scripture passage in Luke 22, verse 42. So look with me again at this magnificent passage. Jesus is praying to his father and he says, Father, if you are willing, remove This cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus cries out to his Father in prayer, and he states his human will, his human desire. He wanted God to remove the cup from him. Now, in Scripture, the imagery of the cup, it often refers to experiencing God's wrath. And so Jesus is expressing his desire to escape God's wrath. Now, we must be very careful here, because Jesus is surely not sinning by having this desire. In fact, it is a good desire to want to escape God's wrath. It would be improper, even sinful, if we desired God's wrath. So Jesus said, if you are willing, remove this cup 
from me. But notice the very important words that come next. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus laid down even his good desire in submission to God's will. For we know Isaiah tells us that it was the Lord's will to crush him. And Jesus knew that. And so he forsook his own good will to obey the Father. Brothers and sisters, our Lord is not a hypocrite. He teaches us to pray this prayer, and then he himself prays this prayer. Moreover, he then pays the ultimate cost to be obedient to this prayer. We serve a God who knows what this prayer will cost us. He knows what he's asking of us. Any part of our wills that are sinful or that does not accord with God's goodwill, he's asking us to forsake. Now, like Jesus, we may desire good things. It is good to desire health, leisure, a companion. But sometimes... God does not give us even these good things. And we continue to pray for them, trusting that our Father delights to give good gifts to his children. We pray, if you are willing, O Lord. But as we pray, we also lay down our wills before our God, saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We've looked at our first point, forsaking our will. Now let's turn to our last point, following God's will. Well, it is not enough to forsake our own will, but we must follow someone else's will. After all, when a mother says to her child, don't do that, is it not usually followed up with those, that great question, why not? That is a very fair question. Why shouldn't I do what I want? My will. I, I want to do it. Isn't that good enough? And this is usually followed up, those words that we started with, because I said so. Here is the reason. They should not follow their own will because they should follow their mom's will. And the unstated premise is, and mom knows best. Well, likewise, we're not rejecting our wills just to inflict pain upon ourselves, but we are praying that we might follow another's will, that we might follow God's will. In the Catechism, it helpfully spells out the what, the how, and the why of God's will. So we will spend the rest of our time looking at these three questions, what, how, and why. So first, what is God's will? If we are going to follow his will, we need to know what it is. 
And as a person that grew up in youth group, I've heard some pretty weird uses of God's will. God's will is the classic Christian breakup line. Now, most people say, it's not you, it's me. But Christian young people will say, God told me to break up with you. Which is like saying, it's not you, it's God. But I'm not just thinking of weird youth group ways of talking about God's will. We often frequently talk about God's will as if it were some mysterious plan that God hides from us and yet requires us to follow. We stress out about whether God wants us to marry Ginger or Sue, whether we should go to the university in Portland or San Diego, or whether or not we should take that new job opportunity. We have so many questions about God's will, but our view of God's will is often different than the Bible's view of God's will. The Bible speaks of God's will in at least two senses. Some theologians have named these two senses God's will of decree and his will of desire. Now, God's will of decree is his sovereign plan that is always accomplished. We see this unchanging, unthortable will in texts like Isaiah 46. In Isaiah 46, God says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. We see in these verses that God's will of decree, it is final. It's absolute. It's unchanging. Whatever God wills happens. But our catechism and our Lord, when he instructs us how to pray, he's not talking of God's will in that sense. That is why he calls us to pray that God's will would be done. God's will of decree is always done. But this other kind of will, we might call it God's will of desire, is often not done. And we see this will in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Here Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes on to describe abstaining from sexual immorality. So God's will is that we are sanctified and that we abstain from sexual immorality. And yet, we can point to many cases, whether in our own lives or someone we know, where they did fall into sexual sin. They did not follow God's will of desire. Or take 1 Thessalonians 5.18, for instance. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Now, we certainly do not give thanks in all circumstances. And so we violate this will of God's desire every day. The Ten Commandments are reflections of God's will of desire. And every Lord's Day, we confess that we have broken God's law. So when we are thinking about what is God's will, we are talking specifically about God's will of desire. That is his revealed will through his word telling us how he wants us to live. In our catechism, it shows us that God's will of desire is both common to all Christians and it's special to us personally. So if you look with me again at the catechism, just very briefly, you'll see that God's will is common for all Christians. We see this in the catechism begins by saying, help us and all people, and skipping down a little, to obey your will. All Christians are called to obey him, to trust God, to praise God. But God's will is also special. It's particular to each person and their particular vocation. We see this in the last part of the catechism. It says, help everyone carry out his office and calling. So this is a prayer for mothers as they tend to their children to husbands as they lead their families, to doctors as they treat the wounded, and so on. We are praying that we would fulfill our vocations in such a way that it would bring honor to God. So we've asked, what is God's will? And the answer is, his revealed will of desire, revealed in his word, that is both common and special. Now let's ask how. How are we to follow God's will? Well, the catechism, it gives two images that explain how we ought to follow God's will. One is a negative image, how we shouldn't follow God's will. The other is positive, how we should follow it. The catechism, it starts out with the negative image. It says, you should follow God's will without any backtalk to obey your will. That's the negative image. And the catechism, is, it's depicting a disobedient child. Now, I'm sure none of you have any children like this. But it's the child that whines back. But I don't want to. Or, if they're even more bold, they just might simply say it. No. We are not to be disobedient, back-talking children. Well, then how should we obey God's word? Well, the, the answer ends with this beautiful simile. It says, as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. So when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are thinking particularly of those angels in heaven, who obey God's law willingly and faithfully. You don't backtalk in heaven. The last time that happened, it did not go well for them. And I can't help but notice, reflect upon the angel from heaven in our passage. 
It was strengthening Jesus. And in verse 43, that's when I was strengthening Jesus, but the way that the story was told, you barely even notice that the angel is there. He's just obediently serving his king, drawing no attention away from Christ. He's just there, serving. That's what we're to be like. Like John the Baptist saying, I must decrease, you, he must increase. Like the quiet angel serving Christ willingly and faithfully. We've looked at the what and the how. Now let's turn to our last question, the why. Why should we follow God's will? And the answer to why we should follow God's will, his law, is found in the middle of the catechism's answer, beginning with that little word for. So why follow God's law, his will? For, because it alone is good. We've already established that our desires are often sinful. And even when they are good, as was the case with Jesus' human desire, God's will is supremely good. According to his human nature, Jesus wanted to avoid God's wrath. But God's will is that Jesus would suffer God's wrath in order that he that many would be delivered from this wrath our very salvation was dependent upon jesus praying this prayer and upon jesus obeying god perfectly through this prayer and so we see clearly in gethsemane that god's will was good this was the ultimate son Do this because I said so. This was the great, your father knows best. Lay down your will and trust me, son. Well, in this life, we will never perfectly forsake our wills and follow God's will. But in Gethsemane and in Golgotha, we see the one who did. And he did it as your mediator on your behalf. You are saved because Jesus prayed this prayer and because he perfectly lived it out. He submitted his own good will to God's saving will. So as you come face to face with your stubborn and sinful wills, look to Christ who alone is your righteousness, who alone has obeyed God perfectly. Moreover, we see in this prayer that Jesus knows we can't obey God perfectly like the angels in heaven. We can't do this on our own. That's why he didn't just give us this command, but he tells us to pray it. You notice this whole thing. We're praying and asking for God's help to forsake our own wills and follow his will. Now this is a dangerous prayer, but this, O Christian, ought to be your prayer. So now, join me in prayer as we ask for God to help us 
to trust in Christ and to depend upon his spirit to do his will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Son, for Jesus Christ, who did not only teach us this prayer, but he himself prayed it. And he himself paid the ultimate cost to be obedient to you as a result of praying this prayer. Lord, we thank you that our salvation is not dependent upon us living this out perfectly. But we look to Christ today and we ask for your help that you might enable us to trust him more and more. But Lord, you also call us to follow our Lord, to continually lay down our wills and follow your will. Lord, this is impossible in our own strength. We need your spirit. And so we ask that you would empower us, O Lord, by your spirit to continually follow you, our great master, our Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.